0: Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. I'm Eric G., the co-host of The Pat Jones Show, and coming up on this week's episode, we'll talk about some of the biggest storylines going into fall camp for both the Cowboys and the Sooners. I'll tell you why the backup quarterback position may already be decided in Stillwater, but not so much down in Norman, and there's an interesting trend happening between both schools when it comes to rookie head coaches. And I'll go so far as to tell you who I think the best rookie head coach in Oklahoma State history was. So hang on tight. We're going fast. And we'll start with that backup quarterback discussion where for the first time in years, like I can't remember the last time, both OU and OSU fans were nervous about who might have to go in if, God forbid, Spencer Sanders or Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. Last year, if something happened to Spencer Sanders, you were thinking to yourself as an Oklahoma State fan, all right, Shane Illingworth was this highly recruited kid. Give him an opportunity. Even though he's not near as mobile as Spencer Sanders, he still ought to be able to throw the ball, and Oklahoma State's got some great playmakers, so it'll it'll work out. You know, it could be worse, but it'll work out for Oklahoma. If you saw Caleb Williams in the spring game, you were thinking to yourself after the spring game, man, I don't know about Spencer Sanders. I mean, if Spencer Sanders may be good, but let's get him out of there after this year and get this kid in because he might be better. And then, well, you know, the rest was was history. You saw how that all played out. Well, this year for both OU and OSU, there's a there is a lot of inexperience. At backup quarterback for Oklahoma State, you're looking at Gunnar Gundy and you're looking at Garrett Rangel, who comes in while being relatively highly recruited. He's still a freshman and neither one of them have much game, much game experience or any game experience to speak of. So it is extremely important for Spencer Sanders to stay healthy. However, I don't see this as being much of a battle. Because I think Garrett Rangel is going to have to come in and light the world on fire in order to unseat Gunnar Gundy in that position. One, you've got the advantage of being the coach's son, and I'm not talking about nepotism. What I'm talking about is growing up around the Oklahoma State program, growing up around Mike Gundy, understanding more clearly than probably anybody else on that team what is to be expected. Plus, the kid is a phenomenal athlete, and from everything that I hear around Stillwater, Gunnar Gundy looks pretty good, and it is all set up for him to be the quarterback of the future once Spencer Sanders leaves Stillwater, and that's the way things are going to turn out, which begs this question, and we got to go off on this sidebar here just for a second. Shane Illingworth left and went out to Nevada. By all accounts, Shane Illingworth is going to be in a quarterback battle. Now, you have to think, coming from Oklahoma State, being as sought after as he was when he was a high school kid, he's going to get every single opportunity to win that job at Nevada, but he is fighting a guy who's a longtime backup and been in the system. And what that always tells you, let's just say for sake of argument, Shane Illingworth doesn't win that job. It's not necessarily a knock on him, and it's not even a knock on the Oklahoma State coaching staff on whether or not they could or couldn't judge talent. It just tells you that recruiting, even, even in its best, all right, even, even with the best judges of talent out there, you're still going to make mistakes. And those kids that you still have planned come onto campus and are going to turn out to be Be great or just good or contributors, sometimes they don't pan out, even the ones that you're most excited about. That's why you see a lot of us um, who do talk radio more, more than, I guess, more than any other journalistic format or journalistic medium. We don't get near as excited about recruits as guys who are running websites, as newspaper reporters, just because we've seen it all too often. We, we've seen the overhyped kid come in and turn out to be nothing. I'm not saying that Shane Ellingworth falls into that category. I'm just saying that it happens. And if he loses that job, don't be too hard on him and don't be, well, too surprised about that whole situation. So let's go to OU and talk about their backup situation. Well, you've got Davis Bevel who comes out of Pittsburgh and you're saying, well, there, Eric, you say there's not a lot of experience there. Here was a guy that's played almost his entire career or his entire career at Pitt, and he's had a few snaps at the college level. Yeah, but it's been very sparingly, okay? And it's sparingly enough that if Dylan Gabriel were to be in a situation where, let's say he just couldn't finish a game, all right? It's a tight ball game. OU's up by 10, and you've got... Six, seven minutes left in the ballgame. So it's still enough in doubt. I don't trust Davis Bevel in that situation. At that point in time, what we have to learn from OU is if Davis Bevel were to come in and play quarterback, or even General Booty, who was a transfer out of Tyler Junior College, by the way, still the best name in the Big 12, what you want in that situation is to see if Jeff Lebby can grind things out. Because the one thing I know for sure about Oklahoma State if something were to happen to Spencer Sanders. As long as that offensive line can block, they proved last year they can play a physical brand of football and they can run it down your throat if they need to. Now, Oklahoma State nor Oklahoma have a big-time running back or a guy that just really makes you shake in your shoes if you're a defense, but you don't need that a lot of times. Sometimes you just need a guy that can get you five. Sometimes you need a, a, a guy that can just keep the chains moving. And with Oklahoma State, from things that we hear, they may have that. And freshman Ollie Gordon, Dom Richards is a guy that is more than serviceable and, and could win you a ball game if he, if he needed to in that kind of situation. Spencer Sanders gets hurt late. Gunnar Gundy has to come in. Garrett Rangel has to come in. And you just want to finish it off. I have faith in Oklahoma State. OU, I don't know. And we hear about this physical running game that Jeff Levy wants to play. If you go and you watch Ole Miss, it looks an awful lot like what Lincoln Riley ran. Okay, so that's what you ought to expect. The main difference between Jeff Lebby and Lincoln Riley is that Jeff Levy wants to go faster. So, yeah, he's still going to want to throw the ball. And we know that he wants running backs to be physical and get up in guys' face. But what we don't know is if in a tight situation, if you don't trust Davis Bevel, if you don't trust General Booty, can a guy like Gavin Sawchuck or Marcus Major or Eric Gray be given the ball over and over again? And can that offensive line get their hand down in the dirt, which I wouldn't expect to see too many three-point stances this year, and just blow people off the ball and take time off the clock? Hopefully, we don't have to find out about that situation for OU. Hopefully, we're not in that situation for Oklahoma State. But it's just something to keep in mind as the season goes forward. Um, Other storylines with Oklahoma State, I think we'll all be watching this year, is how things pan out at linebacker, how things pan out at quarterback. All that being said, man, Oklahoma State's offensive line is going to be so nasty this year. They are going to be so freaking good. And at defensive end, I I defy you. In the Big 12, now you start saying maybe the country. They, that's probably a little bit of, a little bit of hyperbole. All right. And if you've listened to this podcast for for any amount of time, you know I absolutely love Colin Oliver, and you know I'm a big fan of Trace Ford. If I'm a homer for anybody, it's going to be Edmund Santa Fe, where my you know, my my oldest son went to school, and my youngest son is is about to go to school and play football. And they do an excellent job of developing football players. So what I am watching more than that, you know, the quarterbacks, the linebackers, even the safeties. I am watching how those defensive ends develop because Oklahoma State has a chance. I, I'm, I this part isn't hyperbole think you've got a chance to break all sorts of records for sacks this year. And it's going to be very difficult for offensive lines to keep these guys under control. So is Trace Ford healthy? Can he move like we did when we saw him as a, as a freshman and saw what kind of potential this guy had coming off the line? But but you look at Oklahoma State's depth chart especially um at defensive end and it's freaking It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for any offensive coordinator. It's a nightmare for any offensive line coach to have to deal with with Brock Martin, Oliver, Lacey, Ford. It's it's sick. It's absolutely sick. And yes, it's, you know, we always talk about how OU's 85 might be better than Oklahoma State's 85. I would guarantee that if you were to put the proverbial truth serum, as Jim Traber says, into a guy like Brent Venables, He'd want some of those guys that Oklahoma State has. And I think OU's done a really good job of recruiting over these last few weeks. You know, when you get a big-time defensive end out of Austin, Texas, all right, again, not trying to get too excited over recruiting, Now that certainly says you're on the right track. But I also would like to see Brent Venables not overlook kids like Trace Ford and Colin Oliver. Of course, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're telling me to shut the hell up right now because, hey, man, shut up. Those are our guys, you know. Mike Gundy's got that pipeline. Don't be telling Brent Venables to kind of dig into that. But I mean, those are the kind of the things I'm looking at with OU. I, the running back, running backs are becoming less of a concern to me than they were going into the season. Uh, I, again, Sawchuck is the guy I'm most interested in. We really won't get our first look at him until OU kicks off the season against UTEP this year. But Gray, Major, I don't think either one of them are going to to set the world on fire. In fact, I don't see either one of them being all conference this year. But again, I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for guys that can tote the rock because with as stacked as OU as a receiver, and Oklahoma State for that matter, Dylan Gabriel's got guys he can throw to. And if he's got chemistry and he can play as well as I think he can on the run, OU's going to be fine. Uh, Offensively... Even with all the changes, the new terminology, I think OU is going to be fine offensively. You you may have downgraded, you know, in fact, you did downgrade a quarterback. Running back is something that I think by committee you'll be fine at, receiver you'll be fine at, offensive line is supposed to be better this year. For the defense, it's really just a strictly a matter of playing. And Jalen Redmond uh, supposedly has put on 30 pounds, 30 pounds. Which I'm uh, how he's going to move in in that thirty pounds? Okay, good question. That certainly should affect it. Um, certainly, thirty pounds is going to affect how he moves. But listening to John Hoover today, or actually speaking with John Hoover, who was lucky enough to be out at media day, so now that you know that this was recorded on Tuesday, he says that you could see a lot of transformation in the OU players, and that's what you know that that's the Smitty effect. The Rob Glass effect was a lot more obvious to see down at Big 12 media days. Every single one of those Oklahoma State players looked like solid freaking rock. We know what Rob Glass is capable of. We know what Smitty is capable of based on his previous time here at OU, but the guys that you brought down to Big 12 media day didn't look like their bodies had really transformed all that much. However, the dudes you were seeing today Looked like they had gone through Smitty's workout. Um, so that, again, the transformation. Can you play physical? What is practice going to be like for OU? You know, I, with OSU, yeah, there are questions. they are more personnel questions. I mean, even with a defensive coordinator change, not much is going to change there. Maybe a little bit of terminology. I think it's kind of interesting, though. You're bringing in a guy who's not coaching a position. Uh, that I would say would be kind of a concern to me. I would prefer him coach a position that way if for some reason he feels like he's got to get on the safeties coach or he's got to get on the cornerbacks coach or defensive end, whoever, there's a little bit of a count for you there as well because maybe your guys aren't playing as well. That's How that turns out, That's more of a developing storyline for later in the year. I think ultimately Oklahoma State's defense will be fine. But will Brent Venables continue to make this a physically demanding practice? And you have to think it is. Plus, you know, one thing we talked about uh, today on our show biggest concern for Brent Venables going in or the biggest challenge is one, stay healthy. And two, as a head coach, what are you going to implement? What are you not going to implement? What are you going to do when guys don't respond to what you, what you need them to? Is it something that maybe you move too fast on, or maybe it's not something that they're ready for? Can you take it out, go back? But how do you keep from yo-yoing those guys? And the good news is for Oklahoma fans is Brent Venables has some of the best sounding boards in all of college football, and guys like Bob Stoops, Dabo, Sweeney, heck. Um, you can even call Bill Snyder if you needed to. And he'll be fine. But it's an exciting time. We're finally getting back on the field. And for God's sakes, we don't have to talk about conference expansion or NIL. Coming up next, um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have done a really good job with rookie head coaches. So who's done the best job? We'll discuss. Thank you again for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast Bedlam Edition. I am Eric G. Um, I was reading an article today by my good friend, Clay Horning. Um... Which, by the way, you should follow him on Twitter. Check out his stuff. Follow me on Twitter, at Sports Radio APD. That's at Sports Radio APD. Follow me on Twitter. Tell me whether or not you like the podcast, what I can do better. Hey, I even appreciated the criticism I got this week. All right? So, that I mean, it was cool. You took time. You listened. You made a decision about it. Whether you liked me or not, eh, that's... Look, I, of course, I'd like it better if you liked me, but didn't like me. But I will say this much: just because you took your time and wrote that down, that's something that I find very cool. So, at Sports Radio APD, anytime you take time to write me, I think that's you know that's that's great because I like talking to people. Um, now, as I try and articulate, um, back to Clay Horning's article, which was about. Brent Venables being becoming the best rookie head coach at OU and how that's a tall order. I mean, come on, let's face it. The best rookie head coach in OU history, it's Bud Wilkinson. Three national championships. More impressively, the 47-game winning streak case closed. At Oklahoma State, best rookie head coach becomes a bit more of a debatable question because do you take it strictly on success at Oklahoma State or do you take it on success that they had outside the program and if it's success outside the program the winner's Jimmy Johnson a national championship at Miami two super bowls with the Dallas Cowboys he's your clear winner if it's success inside the program then Mike Gundy just edges out Pat Jones in the in that regard and the reason he just edges out Pat Jones look first of all Mike has more 10 wins 10-win seasons than Pat Jones does. Pat Jones actually had the first 10-win season in Oklahoma State history. He just edges him out by winning that conference championship and having his team in position to win another conference championship this past year. Plus, that win over Notre Dame yeah, goes goes pretty far. I mean, Pat had some, had some nice marquee wins as well, but even Pat will tell you he doesn't have one in the trophy case like beating Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. So, but I think what's interesting about both schools is that if you go, if you look at OU, you just go back to Bud Wilkinson. Every coach since Bud Wilkinson, save for Howard Schnellenberger, has been a rookie head coach Gomer Jones, Jim McKenzie, Chuck Fairbanks, Barry Switzer, John Blake, Gary Gibbs. And I know I got those out of orders. Then, of course, Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, and Brent Venables. At Oklahoma State, you start with Phil Cutchin. Then there was the coach in between Cutchin and Dave Smith had actually had head coaching experience. By the way, at OU, Benny Owen was not a rookie head coach, he had had previous head coach experience. But you had Phil Cutchin, there was a guy in between. Then from Dave Smith on through, Where we are right now, Mike Gundy, everybody was a rookie head coach. And I tell you all that to tell you this. Both fan bases get in a real snit when there's a coaching change. And there's always going to be the course of names that just get thrown out by talk show hosts, names that get thrown out by fans. And then. There's always that fan group, and particularly one guy that covers Oklahoma State or used to cover Oklahoma State but still tweets about him. I think he might still do a podcast, whose name we'll, 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 we'll name mentionless. And, and, and there's always guys that, that cover OU that get really incredulous about the fact of, haven't we got to the point where we deserve a head coach? Hasn't this job proven that you can leave? your well-established job to come here to Norman or come here to Stillwater. And I would say trust the people in charge. Because history tells you, for the most part, no matter who's been in charge at either school, they've done a really good job of hiring head coaches. And there's been success from these rookie head coaches. Let the incredulousness, which I don't think he's even a word, But let Texas be the school that stews over whether or not, by God, we're Texas and everybody should want to leave their job for us. Because how well has that turned out for them? Really, how well? John Makovic, former head coach, didn't work out. Dave McWilliams, whom I love. I think Dave McWilliams is a great guy, Um, former Texas player. But previous head coach at Tech, didn't work out so well for him. Worked out really well for Mac Brown, did not work out for Charlie Strong or Tom Herman, and isn't working out for Steve Sarkeesian. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap of thinking that if things go bad or a guy leaves, you must go out and replace him with a name. And I, I, I say all this just simply because it's about fit. I trust Chad Weiberg to do the right thing if, in fact, he has to make a decision if Mike Gundy leaves, I more than trust Joe Castiglione. If he's still here when Brent Venables leaves, these two guys can be trusted. I, and and that's another point that can't be made made and stressed far enough is that how well in position both OU and OSU are athletic director wise. And I don't I, I guess you would probably say Joe Castiglione gets the edge simply because of the track record and the years. And Chad Weiberg's only been on the job for a couple of years. But the thing that Chad Weiberg grasped, one, football is the number one sport, and he is committed to it at Oklahoma State. Two, as he will point out to you, they've done more with less than just about any school in the country when you're talking about financial backing. So, yeah, I trust these guys. You know what? I'm down with rookie head coaches. I like to see dudes get a chance, and both OU and Oklahoma State have proven and they're not just great launching pads, but they're great first jobs where if guys are successful, more often than not, you know they'll stick around for a while. Pat stuck around in Oklahoma State. Now, granted, it didn't end well, but he had a chance to go to Pitt. Didn't do it. Of course, Jimmy left for Miami. Less Miles left for LSU, and their success there, we've already recapped Jimmy's, and you know what happened with Less. But look at what Mike Gundy's done. Mike Gundy's not going anywhere. Anywhere. And all it took really to cement Mike Gundy more than anything was just getting the right people around him. People that were going to support him, not people that were going to take money out of the football program and give it to baseball. And for Oklahoma, look, Lincoln Riley left, but I don't see where that's going to become a trend. I, if Brent Venables is successful here, he'll be here for a long time. And you think that the next guy come in would love to stay at OU because, yeah, you can be successful at a long time. USC was a very unique opportunity. It's working out for Lincoln Riley, all for the exception of uh, being accused of poaching players and tempting them with an NIL. But we'll, you know, for this for this moment in time, it's working out for him. Will he win a national championship at USC? Mark it down on this day, August the second, twenty twenty-two. No, Lincoln Riley will never win a national championship, no matter where he is, because the guy didn't care enough about defense. All right, we've bagged on him enough. We are out of here. May God bless you and your family. Everybody love everybody. As the great David Lee Ross says, stay frosty. More importantly, rate us five stars. Write that review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like about the show, because we love that. And more importantly, we love you. Have a great night.